epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah, but that's just the first half of the book. The second half has Moses giving the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these blueprints for making a sacred tent. Now right here in the middle is the story that connects these two halves together and it all takes place at the foot of a famous mountain. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. So the first thing we have to remember is we're continuing the story from Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed, the family grows and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there's this huge problem because the Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He, he disregards their humanity. He brutally enslaves them. And he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far. Here's where we meet an Israelite woman who wants to save her son. And so she does throw him in the river, but safely in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become Moses, the man who will rescue Israel from slavery. So Moses grows up and one day, much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire but it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush, and he appoints Moses as the man he will use to deliver Israel. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this, this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just pretty much laughs at him. He's like, Who, who's this God, Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites work even harder. So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, listen, this plan's not going to work. But God repeats his promise that he's going to rescue them. And in fact, it's right here for the first time in the Bible that we hear the word redemption. It literally just means to purchase a slave's freedom. But God here uses this word to describe what he's going to do for enslaved Israel. And God knows Pharaoh is going to resist. So he sends 10 different plagues, one after another, like turning water into blood, sending all sorts of pests and disease. These plagues are really severe. They are severe, but we need to understand that the story is presenting these as acts of divine justice against one of the worst oppressors in the story of the Bible. And they're all aimed at the purpose of rescuing these enslaved people and defeating the gods of Egypt. This all comes to a climax at the 10th plague, where God's going to kill the firstborn sons across all Egypt. Every house, it's pretty rough. It is, but it's also God's response for how Pharaoh killed the Israelites' sons. Now as you turn the page, you suddenly get two long chapters of detailed instructions for what's essentially throwing a dinner party with a recipe for a lamb. Yeah, but this lamb is super important. God tells the Israelites to pick it out and to prepare it to be eaten. And they're supposed to take its blood and then paint it all over the doorframe of their house. And anyone who is in that house will be spared from this final plague. And so this meal, which is called Passover, it commemorates this key moment in the story where God brings his justice on human evil, but also shows mercy by providing this substitute. All right, so we're all caught up. We're all on the same page here in Exodus because the book of Exodus is about God redeeming his people 
in the darkest of days. In the midst of a hopeless slave existence, God executes a, a daring escape plan. And Moses is the one chosen by God to execute his plan. He is the catalyst for this great event. Moses, who is an 80-year-old former exile, whose best days are seemingly behind him, becomes this unlikely prophet of God to rescue his people. Indeed, this great act of salvation becomes, in essence, the paradigm for God's future deliverance for his people in the Bible. This act of covenant and exodus from Egypt to the promised land is the key salvation event in the Old Testament. We see in the Passover the shadow of the cross that is to come in Jesus. This Passover event is integral to our understanding of salvation. In it, we see both life and death. The Passover event is the the climax of these ten plagues that have been sent on Egypt. We talked about the first nine last week. With the nine plagues that came before, there was always a possibility of God relenting. All it would have taken is if Pharaoh would have said yes, right? There was always a chance that this could have been stopped. But not so with this tenth plague. No, Moses' pronouncement to Pharaoh, there's a finality in this pronouncement of this tenth plague. There is no turning back. God's plan is set, and the day of judgment has come upon Egypt and Pharaoh. This Passover brings life and death. In Passover, we see life and death. Life for those who place themselves under the blood, and death for those who defy God's plan for recreation. In fact, this whole scene, this Passover scene, begins to kind of slow down the pace of events that has so far taken place in Exodus. Uh, Up until now, the the pace has been pretty quickly. If you recall, in chapter 2 of Exodus, we get Moses' whole life from birth to age 80, just in one chapter. But here, we slow down these events, and the Passover takes place over three chapters. In chapter 11, 12, and the first 16 verses of 13. And chapter 12 and 13 actually give us the ritual for celebrating Passover. God wants the Israelites to remember this day and to celebrate it from here to eternity. No less than four times in this passage does God tell the people, he says this, remember this day as a perpetual observance to God. And God lays out the ritual and how they were to celebrate Passover in order that the people would remember. It is both a solemn occasion And a joyous occasion. Why? Because Passover is about life and death. That's why it is both solemn and joyous. Because in Passover we see life and death. Life for those who place themselves under God's grace and protection. And death for those who are opposed to God's created, good created order. We talked about last week in the past couple of weeks that this isn't just about Israel and Pharaoh, this is a cosmic battle. 
that is taking place. This is about God's plan for salvation for everyone. This isn't just some isolated event. This is a cosmic event. Because we see that God chose the Jews and they blessed them that they could be a blessing to the rest of the world. And here Pharaoh is opposed to this blessing, this people that is called to be the blessing for the rest of the world. And if Pharaoh thwarts this, then it will have implications on all of creation. This is a cosmic battle. This act of Passover and covenant and exodus from Egypt to the promised land is the key salvation event in the Old Testament. It is the way of freedom. In chapter 12 of Exodus, we see the ritual God institutes, a ritual that is to be observed, reenacted every year. These verses speak in detail about the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the week-long festival that is to follow Passover when they finally get into the Promised Land. That's when they're going to celebrate this, when they're in the Promised Land. And when do Jews observe Passover? In the first month of the year, we read this, Exodus 12, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. God tells Moses, in effect, this is your new calendar. You have a new life now, and you have a new calendar. Your year has been recreated. Your deliverance from Egypt is a new beginning, a fresh start This is your first month. It connects Israel all the way back to creation in Genesis. God is starting over. He is recreating here in Egypt. And the people are to take a year-old male lamb without defect. They are to slaughter the lamb, collect the blood in a bowl. And from that bowl, they are to dip a hyssop branch and place that blood over the doorframe of their homes. The sign is for protection. They have placed themselves under the protection of God and they will be spared the death that is to come. King David would later use this same image in one of his famous psalms, Psalm 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And after they slaughter the lamb, they're to roast it and eat it along with bitter herbs and bread without yeast. And the text gives us the significance of the bread without yeast. And it talks about because they're going to be in a hurry. They don't have time for the bread to rise. That their journey of freedom is about to take place too quickly for them to to truly prepare. And in fact, when they recall this event and when they eat it in the future even, they are to eat it in haste with their sandals on and with their staff and their belt around them, ready to go at any moment. And every year, Jews around the world still celebrate Passover in this way. They're told to celebrate it in a way in which they use their imagination. This is what I love. This is what I love about the, the Passover event and the significance of it. They are to m- imagine that they were there. That it wasn't just some event that took place thousands of years ago, but it is an event that they are participating right now. 
I like that. We should do the same thing. When we, uh, when we celebrate these major events in Scripture, we imagine that we are there with those players. And that's the way the Jews are supposed to celebrate this Passover. Uh, this Passover night is a night of life and death. I'll let the text speak for itself. Chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Passover is an event of life and death. Life for those who place themselves under the blood of the Lamb. And death for those who oppose the life in which God is offering to his people. See, if an Israelite family had not painted the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts, then death would have visited them as well. In a similar vein, if an Egyptian had placed the blood over the doorposts, they would have been spared. It was because of the blood that God made a distinction between Israel and between Egypt. And this wasn't done in a vacuum. All of the Egyptians around there knew what was going on. They had seen the other nine plagues. But, but we wonder, why blood? It's a, it's a gruesome thing. Uh, but blood represents life. For the Jewish people and for us, blood is a sign of life. It is a life given that provides the life for Israel. We've seen this theme already, haven't we, in the scriptures? All the way back in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God had said the the punishment of your sin, of your disobedience was what? Death. But God had grace, didn't he? God didn't kill Adam and Eve for sinning and disobeying. What did he do? Well, a life was killed. An animal was slaughtered in order that Adam and Eve's shame could be covered by the skins of the animal. In Passover's life and death, the blood of creation is shed so that Israel's blood might be spared. And on Passover, the firstborn of all Egypt is killed. The death that is to come is because of the evil that is perpetrated by Pharaoh. It is a tragedy. It is horrific. Because of the evil of Pharaoh, all of Egypt suffers death. How often that still happens in the world today. Evil leaders who cause death and destruction on their people. But we also see that it's not just the Jewish people who are spared. We see many non-Israelites who are part of the exodus as well. You see, freedom for Israel also meant freedom for many others. This is a cosmic battle. This has cosmic implications. This isn't just about Egypt and Israel. It's about us. 
We must remember this always. God's plan of redemption started with a family, but it was for the entire world. God's plan of redemption started with the Jews, but it was always to be for the whole world to experience. This act of covenant and exodus from Egypt to the promised land is the key salvation event in the Old Testament. But it's not enough. It's not enough. We'll especially see that later on in Exodus. Especially if you're reading along in Exodus, you'll see this clearly. It's not enough. God had fulfilled his part of the covenant, but the people constantly fail to fulfill their part, right? God had sent a protector and a shepherd, Moses, who was an outcast. God called him, but, but remember the people wouldn't listen to him very often. And they would constantly complain and reject his leadership. But God would not relent. He continued to unfold his salvation plan for the world. And Israel wouldn't see it until some 1,500 years later. God had in mind a new exodus. An exodus that would go beyond anything we can imagine. And this exodus would be led by a new Moses. Like Moses, this redeemer was a shepherd. In fact, he was born for this very purpose. He is the good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. And like Moses, this redeemer will also be rejected by his own. Like Moses, he first experienced Israel's rejection and became an outcast and an alien. He did not descend from the comfort and prestige of an Egyptian palace, but from heaven itself. And God became man, and a despised man at that, for our sake, and dwelt among us for our salvation. And God remembered his covenant, not only remembered it, but said, I'm going to make a new covenant, a covenant of blood. And so during Israel's most holy of celebrations, Passover, Jesus showed us a new exodus, a new Passover. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb whose blood was to be spread over the doorposts of our heart so that we wouldn't experience slavery to sin and death, but so that we could be recreated, we could be transformed, so that we would have redemption, so that we would know the true way of freedom. In Passover, there is life and there is death. It's the same with Jesus. If we accept the gift and sacrifice of Jesus, we are promised new life. If we don't, then death awaits us. But God's desire has always been that we share in that life and in his recreation. Let us pray.